Well, good morning. It's Sunday, and that period of time that we spend for the next hour <clears throat> contemplating on the Word of God. As you are aware, um, Sister Nadine is not here today because she has to finish up a course that she's doing that was necessary for her work. Sister Chandra is not here because she's not well today. I told her to stay home. But I'm glad that you that are joining us this morning are with us. And we pray that this time that we spend together would be a blessing to you. We're not singing, so I might as well get into talking. And I'm thinking, this morning I'm sitting and thinking of um, three um, words that are my favorite words. So words are beautiful, and God has blessed us. We want to ask God to help and direct us during this service. So would you join me in prayer? And dear Father, once again, we thank you for the privilege you've given to us that we can come into your presence. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer, not to just recite little things, O oh Father, but to let our hearts speak out unto thee from the very depths of our hearts Oh, Father, help us to learn to pray and to put these thoughts and desires in our hearts, spiritual thoughts and spiritual desires, into words. This morning, as we come before you, Lord, I ask for those that are not well. Remember Sister Chandri today? She is not well. We pray you'll touch her mind, touch her heart, touch her body, touch her spirit. And even so, I pray for every other child of God that is not well. Uh, locally in Mississauga and around these Toronto, this Toronto area. And Lord, not only here, but around the world where your people are and they're serving you, we pray that you'll touch your children and encourage their hearts. Heal us spiritually and heal us physically, Father. And then today we ask that you'll bless this little time we spend together and may your words challenge our lives. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Like I said, words are important. And so there were three words that I, two words actually, that I used to mix up. And you might have heard this said over and over again. And one was optimism and one was pessimism. And so optimism as that individual that have a positive outlook at life. And the common terminology they use in the world is that an optimist sees the glass half full. A pessimist, who is always negative in his thought pattern, uh, sees the glass and everything else in life half empty. While there is the optimist and there is a pessimist, but then there is also what is called a realist. If you are needing your glass to be filled up because you're sitting at a restaurant or your cup to be filled up, uh, you would see the need for filling it up rather than half empty, half full. You would be a realist because you need some more uh, coffee in your coffee cup. You don't look at it whether it's half full or half empty. You just figure out what your needs are. And so God has blessed us to uh, be able to understand some of these things. Now, understanding, uh, mentally understanding and comprehending the reality of these words, uh, the optimist, the pessimist, and the realist, I would like today to stick to the realist because there are things that we will encounter in life that will demand a reality. And one of the things that I would like to mention are, you know, relating to the negatives in our lives, when things come negatively. And so uh, we're playing with words here today, and um, I have before me the Word of God. And so uh, we, we say this is the Word of God. Well, you know, Jesus, when he called his disciples, he said to them, he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
And it demanded a, a starting point in life. That is, you deny yourself, you're to give up what you have uh, pre-planned, and you're deciding to follow the Lord. And when you make that decision, it involves a life, not just principles, but a life, a lifestyle, things that you would have to give up and things that you'll have to incorporate in your life. It's a challenging life because when I think of the overall plan of God, I think of myself as one that God knew before I was even conceived. And for me, if I'm sitting here and I'm very impatient, well, the paths that God would have for me would be different than a person's path that from his childhood he was so patient. I would need that which is necessary to develop patience in my life. Now, the ultimate goal is that God would like me to enter into the kingdom. And this particular area of life, God would like to have individuals that are processed and matured enough to be able to come to that place that they can rule and reign with Christ. Can you imagine an overcomer sitting on a throne, has the ability to snap his finger and change the whole world in a moment, but is patient enough to sit there for a thousand years and uh, take time to see the world uh, grow from one stage to the other, see from a fallen, depraved mankind, see it comes up uh, to please God, and then the kingdom of God is established. Well, I see beyond what our human minds can see because I see that individual as a being just like God. He sits in eternity. He's not controlled by time because he was given immortality. Eternity is that uh, divine revelation that makes you understand there is no distinction of past, present, and future. But for God to bring that person to that place of perfection, there needs to be a work done in his life, his or her life. And that is why we have the church, and that is why we have a process of time. Uh, Paul, when he wrote to the Hebrews, and let me just get that here. When he wrote to the Hebrews, he made some statements here, and I thought of using this scripture. I didn't have it written down for a starter, but it, uh, something that popped into my mind here in Hebrews, the third chapter, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verse 7, Paul makes a statement like this. He says, today, not tomorrow, today. And I'd like to say the same thing to those of you listening to me. I could be a very controversial preacher sometimes. Depends on who is listening. If someone is listening to me that is not full of ideologies and full of their own con concepts, and I would like to say technically, without trying to offend anyone, brainwashed to a concept of life. When you hear me, if I go contrary to that, the first thing you might want to think is to reject what I'm saying because your mama, your daddy, or your organization did not teach you such. Well, I would like you to consider a little bit more than that. If I say something, check it out. If I say, uh, you know, that the, the sun is shining, don't just believe me because I say that, or don't just disbelieve me because your whole life is full of darkness. Check it out, uh, because I try to do my best not to promote any concept that's not based on Scripture. And if I say something that contradicts your years of tradition or your years of theology or your years of doctrinal convictions, then it's time to make some changes. When I was growing up, uh, my parents were Hindus and gradually they got converted and we became Anglicans. But in my mind, I was prepared. I went to the Anglican church. My dad uh, was very pleased to have us all go to the Anglican church because his main reason was they had a big cemetery. 
And uh, when you go to the Anglican church, you did not have to go to the community burial, which was like miles away into an area that was deserted. You can just be buried in the Anglican church cemetery. What a reason to go to church. But he had nine kids, and so he wanted a good place to bury his family so we can visit the graves, you know, when someone died. But that was the reason why we became Anglicans. But I, one day, I decided, and I feel it was not my decision, it felt it was a decision that God had placed in my life. I was tired being an Anglican. I was tired seeing the priest having a cigarette in his one hand and shaking your hand with the next hand. I was tired of smelling his liquor that he had. And so I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to leave. So I left. I was baptized, sprinkled as an Anglican, and I left the Anglican church. Now, I went and I started to fish around. I found a church called the Church of God. The Church of God, Indiana Church of God, non-Pentecostal church, was a great place for me to be in. And so it was a whole lot different. The pastor did not drink. He did not smoke. He preached holiness until one day he chased his wife down the street with a machete. And then I decided, okay, I don't think I want this church. Somebody said I was like a rolling stone. Well, I love to be a rolling stone. A rolling stone gathers no moss. Who wants moss? And so I kept rolling. From the Church of God, I went a little bit to the Pilgrim Holiness, which was a very good church, very staunch, very disciplined. And uh, for some reason, there was this stronger calling on my life. Uh, during that period of time, I attended Youth for Christ meetings with young people. I was very zealous. I'd left my home. I moved on. And so we were moving on from one system to the other. Was, uh, was it that I was, I, I was changing? Yes, I was changing from one belief to the other. And so here this rolling stone uh, rolled one day into a Pentecostal crusade. And when I got there, I heard a preaching and a message delivered from a man of God that I still respect on to this day, up to the day that he died, uh, he was the man that led a crusade that taught me the principles of accepting Jesus as my Savior. I was 12 years old when I really became a Christian. And so it was in the Pentecostal church that I became a Christian. I love Pentecostalism. And so I was there, and so I didn't tell you, but... Uh, when I left the Anglican Church, I got baptized with the Church of God. When I left the Church of God, I did not get baptized in Pilgrim Holiness. I did not stay long enough. But when I became a Pentecostal, I got baptized again as a Pentecostal. And so I kept moving on. But while I was a Pentecostal, there were doctrinal concepts that boggled my mind. And I did not really accept. So as a young man, I came up with my own theological ideas. I could not see how the Father was equal to the Son and equal to the Holy Spirit and the Godhead. Long story. And everyone has their own concept. I could not see co-equal, co-eternal coexistence. I could coexistent. I couldn't see that. I could not understand how the Father and the Son are one and the same. I could not understand that. And so these little areas that I question open my heart and my understanding to uh, understanding that might be out there somewhere. And I started to search because I was hungry. I was branded a heretic when I made some statements sometimes. And though I was not really deep uh, deeply educated in theological concepts, I used to love to argue concerning the Bible. I was 12, 13, 14 years old, and I would get in a debate. I'm surprised that kids today are not zealous of Christian values. They don't argue. They don't even know what they believe in. But in those days, I believe. I had, uh, my conversion was genuine and it was a process that got started. So I moved from one stage to the other stage. 
And then in 1970, sometimes in 1974, 73, 74, I felt I was there in Guyana. I was pastoring about three, uh, uh, pastoring three small churches in Guyana. And I had church all day on a Sunday, like from one service to the other. I think I had five services on a Sunday. I was very involved. I was oversighting about 40, uh, between 30 and 40 Sunday schools. Uh, we had 12 small little churches in the district. Not that I was qualified to oversight them, but I was left just to oversight them. And so I felt this, this deep desire when I was in 1974, 73, 74, that I'm too comfortable. Here I was, a missionary in Guyana, missionary-minded. I was supposed to be missionary-minded. Uh, I was supposed to be a missionary worker. But I had a house, and I had a car, and life was comfortable. I had a church that supported me well, locally. I was able to help myself on the side. And for one week, I would work on handicraft stuff that made more money than the headmaster from the local school made in a month. I would make more in one week. So that's all I needed. When someone needed a shirt, I bought them the shirt. When they need uh, new shoes, we bought them. We were there to help the people. And so you felt like there was this need. I needed more of God. I needed more of God. And so I decided, okay, I will go to the United States. And uh, well, when I'm in the United States, I will have some time to study. So I got me a big volume, the full volume of Strong's Systematic Theology. And I got, in, I got an, uh, someone to invite me uh, to go to the United States. And I went, and to make a long story short, that's where I met the body of Christ, uh, what we call the body of Christ, gospel assembly churches in that period of time. It was a brand new experience because in six months, my knowledge of the Bible increased, I would say, a hundred percent because I felt like I needed to study and understand the Word of God. Strong's systematic theology was of no use to me because it became weak in comparison to truth that I heard in a local church. Men that were there at that time influenced my life. I don't burn the bridges behind me. I appreciate where I'm coming from. Every step had something important. And here today, I am preaching a gospel. And the way I'm going, I might be saying things that you as an individual, you never changed in your life. You got one doctrine, you hold on to it. And you might hear me say things that are not down your alley. You might have said, well, you know, I was taught this way from the time I was small. Well, how about before condemning what I say, examine it. And if you examine it and feel it has holes and it's not scripturally uh, something that you need to consider, then ignore it. All you got to do is ignore it. But today, when you open uh, your ears and start to listen to the word of God that I preach, I preach the word of God. I believe with all my heart that what I'm saying is the word of God. If when you weigh this against what your life is and what you've been accustomed and what you were brought up in, then if I am correct, make changes. Make changes. And Paul, in writing to the Hebrews here, in chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, and I wish I could say the same thing, while you're listening to me and you're hearing me make critical statements concerning years of tradition that you might have been involved in that make you happy and settle down, just like I was when uh, I was in different movements, just like the, the man outside of the Christian church, he's happy with his religion. Don't tell him he's wrong unless God is talking to him. But if God is talking to him and if God is speaking to you, Paul says, he says in verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, that is God's voice, in the messages that I preach, don't sit down and pout. Don't get angry. 
If you hear his voice, here is what you do. Harden not your hearts. Uh, 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 Harden not your heart as in the provocation, in in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When God tries to try to speak to the nation of Israel as they were going through the wilderness, uh, they had a tendency to harden their hearts. Uh, there is a something that God might be knocking on your door, but you know, if you're elect, God will open your heart to understand. He will touch the eyes of your understanding, and he will touch your ears that you might perceive what is being said. And so... If I say something that contradicts what you believe in, then don't harden your heart. Check it out. Go into the scriptures. Look at it. And then pray over it and make sure that what you reject is not truth. Not everyone will believe. Look, look, I look at Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever walked on this earth. I can't compare myself with him, but when I look at him, he gives me encouragement. Because what he has done in the past encourages me. When I see he came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as receive him, John says, to them he give the authority or the power to become the sons of God. Isaiah spoke of Jesus and he said, who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He says, for he, Jesus shall grow up before God as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago approximately, Israel was full of religion, but in God's sight, they were a dry ground. There was no spirit and life. They had education as far as the scripture was concerned, but illumination was missing. He came onto his own And his own could not receive him because blindness had happened to them and they could not see. They searched the scriptures, but they still did not have the word of God, Jesus said unto them. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life, but they testify of me. And they said, well, you know, we're talking, we're seed of Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Are you older than Abraham? You see, blindness... Spiritual blindness is worse than physical blindness. Spiritual blindness of the heart, you can't see except God touch you. And so this is important that we understand that. And Paul is writing here, he says, don't harden your heart. Uh, He says, verse 9, when the fathers tempted me and provoked me and saw my works 40 years, and still they rejected him, 40 years they were there, God's own people, and the majority of them could not enter into the promised land because they had rejected his words. I'm glad that the younger generation were able to enter into the land. Uh, When Moses left uh, Egypt and they started that journey, a young man like Joshua, I don't know, I checked a few records and some said he was about 10 to 18 years old. Some said he was about 30. I don't know, he might have been. Uh, Just a young man, 10 to 15 years old. I don't know. But he was a young man. He was the younger generation. And uh, the older generation, the ones that were set in their system, could not change. They could not change. Well, some of us are set in our own ways. And someone says, well, I was born this way, and I'm going to die this way. Well, guess what, my friend? I was born one way. And I changed another way, and I changed another way. And if tomorrow the Lord appears to me and tells me something that I need to do, I'll do it. Unfortunately, we are here set until God does otherwise. And he says back here in verse 15, if you didn't get it the first time, he said again, well, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. And so when we think of these things, we're thinking that we're living in a time that we should not harden our hearts against God. Someone says, well, God is hardening our hearts. No, no, no. Our hearts are always hardened before we even met God. When Jesus came, they did not reject him uh, because he uh, was so hard on them. No, Uh, the people were blind before he came. And sometimes blindness 
Uh, you might be blind and don't even know it. You think the man out there in a denomination feels he is wrong? Let me pick on a few things here. You think a Jehovah's Witness feels he is wrong? Oh no, he feels he is right. He's convinced he is right. And guess what? Leave him alone. Uh, here in Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus made a statement like this. And uh, you know, when we get into church and when I'm talking to you, I don't know where we'll go, but uh, let's look at Matthew just for a moment here. In Matthew chapter 15, uh, when the Pharisees came up and challenged Jesus, then came the scribes and Pharisees, which were at Jerusalem. We looked at this yesterday, and they were talking about the traditions of their fathers. It says, why do your disciples try to transgress the tradition of the elders? They're, your disciples are defying what our ancestors taught us. Our fathers of the past, here is what they taught us. But their fathers of the past, they're going back uh, from Malachi to Matthew. We're talking of hundreds of years of apostasy developing, educated, but not illuminated. The Pharisees, whether it was Annas the high priest or even Gamaliel, they were educated. They knew the letter of the law, but they were not illuminated as to present truth and what God was doing. Can you imagine? They read the prophecies of Isaiah, which says a virgin shall conceive. And when the virgin came and conceived, they call her a seed of Jesus. They call Jesus a born of fornication. <clears throat> Can you imagine that? Uh, you read the law, you study these things, and you go spiritually blind and don't realize it. Well, it's time we reevaluate what we're doing. Otherwise, we'll be in a continuous decline. Backsliding is never stagnant. Backsliding is never stagnant. Apostasy never stands still. It always continues to deteriorate into a worse condition. And so we need to understand these things. And so the Pharisees came and they were talking about traditions and Jesus had an argument with them. And he said, you hypocrites, in verse 7, Isaiah called you. Isaiah, he said, well, did Isaiah. You know, not a lot of times Jesus would go and quote uh, from the Old Testament, but this one he did. He says, Isaiah, well taught about you. He says, Isaiah said, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, today we can be honor the Lord with our, just like Israel. They, ordered, they, they honor the Lord with him. They spoke good about God. And they honor him with their lips, but their hearts were far from them. Well, what are we doing today? I thought, you know, I'm, I'm sitting this morning pondering as I'm listening to scripture. And a frivolous thing came into my mind. Frivolous. And I said, oh, well, today... We honor the Lord with our lips, and we honor the Lord with our hips. You know what I mean? I hope you do. Because today, we honor the Lord with our lips, and we want the music to get our hips going. And so when you look at the church, and I'm thinking, I don't think the early church was this uh, wild in church, and they got the kind of worship that we are encouraging today. I feel there is no there is no sanctity in God's house. I feel we have lost the solemnness of worship. Worship today caters for our, how we feel rather than giving God worship. We want to feel it. We want to get goosebumps. We want to get touched. No, worship is meant to give God praise. I don't care how you feel. David says, I will bless the Lord in spite of how I feel, in spite of the circumstances. He says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. When there is a war, I still bless him. When I'm losing, I still bless him. When I'm winning, I still bless him. <clears throat> when I'm sick, I still bless him. I must learn to bless the Lord at all times. Keep that thought in mind because I'm coming back to it. He says, his praises shall continually be in my mouth. And in spite of how you feel, in spite of what's happening in your life, you've got to see the end result. 
And when you understand the end result, you'd be able to endure your cross and endure your suffering. That which is designed to save you is not a nice, easy ride into the kingdom. It's a life of travail and suffering. And so here Jesus said, he says, this people draw it nigh unto me with their mouth. You can't do that. That's impossible. And honor at me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And because of that, it is their vain, in vain, are they serving me. Jesus is talking to the religious element of his time. Paul was a Pharisee included in this group. And if Paul circumcised the eighth day, a man that kept the law blameless, a man that was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was belonging to the straightest of sect of the Jewish religion. There was not a more disciplined group of individuals than the Pharisees. If he, was, if he remained a part as a Pharisee, Paul would have served God in vain. If we hold on to tradition more than we hold on to uh, pursue God for righteousness and holiness... We would serve God in vain. But I'm not here. The Jehovah's Witness can believe that they're right. That's fine. The Seventh-day Adventists can believe they're right. That's fine. Whoever is out there, the Baptist, the Presbyterian, whoever wants to believe, the Mormon believe they're right. That's fine. Believe what you want. And so when the disciples, uh, when Jesus said this, It says here, Jesus said in verse 13, And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. That is very clear. He was telling the Pharisee organization. They had the Pharisee and the Sadducee and the Essene. He says, If God did not plant this, it is going to be rooted up. I want to tell us, if our local church is not planted by God, not planted by man, See, man went in, uh, some of the saints fleeing and looking for better job opportunities and maybe better climatic conditions, they went into Rome to live. Rome was not started by an apostle. Rome was started by saints that feel they can start a church. Any church that's started by man will be rooted up. If the Pharisee was rooted up and the Sadducee was rooted up and every apostate religion back there was rooted up, what makes you think you can go and just do whatever you want and start whatever you want, plan whatever you want, and God would accommodate it? Every plant which my father has not planted would be rooted up. If this church here in Mississauga was not planted by God, it will be rooted up. Nobody is infallible. If the church of Jerusalem was not planted by God, it would be rooted up. And yet at the same time, every church that God started, God prepared individuals, put them away for the first resurrection, and then that church went into apostasy. A church does not exist forever. What happened to the church of Rome? It seems like the only one that kept on going on. Look look at what it has become. Churches that start genuinely and try to be sincere can move on into apostasy. It is quite common. And so, uh, here are the disciples. Jesus said, he says, he says, shall be rooted up. Uh, he says, uh, uh, but the disciples came here. Let me back up a little. He said in verse 12, then came the disciples to him and said unto him, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended whatever you were telling them? They got upset at you, Jesus. Why you were telling them that they were worshiping God in vain, they got upset with you. They got really upset with you. And sometimes uh, when I'm preaching, that's why I like to see people. I like to see a congregation because after years of preaching, I can preach and know if I'm pulling your trigger. I can preach... I know my congregation, I know my church so well that if I want to preach anyone out of the church, I know exactly what to say to get you raging mad and have have you walk out of the assembly before I'm done. That's why I go so far 
no further. I give you a dose of laxative, and then I give you a nice dose of chiropractic to ease it up. I pull the sword to cut the cancer out, but I have that healing balm that accompanies that. I'm a skilled surgeon, I hope. I take the tumor out. It's not easy taking it out, but every tumor would be removed from God's elect. And so Jesus said to the disciples, he said, let the Pharisees alone. Verse 14, he says, let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind people. He says, blind leaders must lead blind people. It take a qualified Jehovah's Witness to lead a qualified Jehovah's Witness congregation. It takes an apostate leader, qualified as an apostate leader, to lead an apostate flock. It does not always work like that, because a real genuine leader like Jesus, his flock departed when he preached the truth. And that is important. And the other day we preached the lesson, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so here, I'm moving on here. I already am not preaching what I was intending to preach. But isn't that the normal thing with me over in the Gospel of John? Uh, move with me here. In the Gospel of John, uh, you're, we're talking about this Jesus. In John, the Gospel of John chapter 2, it says here, uh, you see, many of us, we believe conveniently with an ulterior motive for our beliefs. We want a little religion. Listen, if God has not talked to you and God is not working in your life, your little religious desire for a religious fix is not going to put you in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God demands a process. And that is why I was mentioning earlier, there's a process that God must take you through. And don't complain when you're going through this process. Now look, listen to truth. And so when it comes to truth, it's the reality. It's what you need to understand. And sometimes a crowd gathers around because they're not dealt with. A crowd gathers around because they're not dealt with. You, when the moment you start to preach the truth to them, they backslide and leave the church. I remember one sister came into the church some time ago, and she was a very wonderful lady, and I still think she's a wonderful lady. The ones that left the church, I, I don't have a pick on anyone. I think some of the most wonderful people were a part of the church, but I could not touch the eyes of their understanding. God had to keep them in the church. If you're kept in the church, God's merciful to you. And so here in the 23rd verse of chapter 2, it says, And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, Jesus here was in Jerusalem at the Passover. It says, Many, see the word many, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. What's your reason for believing? Well, my mama is in church. That's why I'm in church. Good, not good reason. You'll backslide, leave the church. What? What's your reason for being in church? Well, I like Brother Singh. You know, he's such a nice guy. I'm going to hang around and let him preach to me. Wrong reason. You must love the Lord. You have to love the pastor too, but you have to love the Lord. Well, why are you in church? I had some problems out there, you know, and they tell me to come to this church, see if I'll get some charity. Wrong reason. See, if God has not brought you in, and people come for all kinds of reasons and sit in the church, and I live long enough to see them come and to get excited, get carried away, and then backslide. The higher they jump, the faster they leave. We cannot afford to have our experience just being an emotional experience. And so many believed on Jesus. We see when a preacher sees many people, he gets excited. Don't get excited. When the day of Pentecost and this 3,000 got added to the group, sheep came in, but goats came with the sheep, and some wolves came in between. See, the Oxford Bible, I like it. It says, and the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Sent a column reference. I like that. The church, you might look and there's 3,000, but God looks and he sees 100. I remember one night just prior to one of our meetings here, uh, we were fasting and praying uh, just before the meeting years ago. 
And right here, I was kneeling on this front pew. And while I was praying, you know, Friday night, we have a prayer meeting. And so you know, as a pastor, you want to see a good, good, good group of people coming in. And when I look, I hear a lot of voices, you know. And Brother John, I lifted up my eyes and I looked and there was about 30 people. And I said, wow, we got a good turnout tonight. Prayer meeting, people don't really show up. And when they show up, they fall asleep while the prayer is going. And so I look up and said, wow, we got a good crowd here tonight. And then I bowed back my head and then something deep inside my spirit spoke to me. Not audibly, but in my spirit, it says you count heads. God counts hearts. I might see 30, God sees 5. I might see 300, many. God sees 25. So when God looks down, he sees different than man looks down. And that is why I'd like to see from God's perspective. I like to see things from God's perspective. And so many believed on Jesus. Can you imagine how the disciples were happy uh, when they saw a lot of people coming in and Jesus did not commit himself? Now this is what I like with John. He's writing after the fact. There's a lot that is written in your Bible after the fact. When you read John, it is after the fact. When you read the book of Jeremiah, it is after the fact. And so sometimes words can play on you. When you read the book of Jonah, it is after the fact. Jonah could not write that while he was in the whale's belly. It was after the fact, after the incident. And so Jesus, John said here, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He knew how fickle and changeable human nature is, the living Bible, I think, says. And he needed not that any man should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew that today they will say, Hosanna in the highest, and tomorrow they'll say, crucify him. And so many here, don't get carried away with the many. Peter says, he says, uh, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and ungodly appear? Uh, Jesus himself said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Isaiah said, except the Lord of Sabbath has left us a small remnant, we would have been like unto Sodom and Gomorrah. God's work is never large and multiplying in great numbers, except those coming out of the great tribulation. Tribulation really does a lot of good things. And trials in your life will do a lot of good things. I've got 15 minutes, so let's move with this. Here in chapter, in chapter 4 of uh, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 4, uh, John is, uh, uh, Jesus is making a statement here. And after he met this woman of Samaria, and he preached to the people that came out from the village of uh, Samaritans, came, verse 39, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Oh my gosh, this woman, we know her. She was a prostitute. She had all these husbands, one after the other. And now uh, she's testifying. So they believed in it because of the woman, what she said. And verse 41, and many more believed because of his preaching. When they heard him talk, they said, this is a good preacher. I had individuals do that. A sister came and she sat down and she, would, she got up one night and she testified in church how the Lord really spoke to her heart. And a Saturday night I preached and when I went home, she called me and she says, Brother Singh, I want to let you know. She said, today topped it all. She says, every time I come to church, you're always dealing with something that I need to hear. But today, we dealt, uh, me and my friends, we had a discussion of a certain subject. And I came on in, and you dealt with that more than we ever needed to hear. Uh, she said, Brother Singh, you're a man of God, and I'm so pleased to sit here in this church. So I told her, I said, Sister so-and-so, I said, you're a babe. And so God is changing your pampers and he's giving you a bottle fed uh, salvation. You're getting fed right now. You're the baby. You're getting all the attention and God loves you. And he's giving you a bottle right now to encourage you in the way. But there's going to come a time <clears throat> when uh, you have to grow up 
And it's not only bottled milk. It's going to be mashed potatoes. And then it's going to be vegetables. And then it's not going to be pureed stuff all the time. It's going to be strong meat. And if you're not able, then you have to be remembering that in those days, the same God that used Brother Singh to deal with your subject is the same God that will use Brother Singh to put his hand in your life to pull that spiritual cancer out. Well, when Brother Singh did not even put his hand in her life, she got taken out of the church. She forgot what she had said to me years ago. I've heard that over and over again. I've heard that over and over again. Being in the ministry for so many years, somebody loved me today, they don't love me tomorrow because I tell them the truth. And so here it goes on. Uh, so many more believed on him. And so we're looking at chapter, uh, coming to chapter 6. And so in chapter 6, uh, here is that Jesus, he's very straightforward in preaching the gospel. And so he preached the gospel here in chapter 6 after many are believing on him. Here is what he said. Uh, he said here in chapter 6 and verse uh, 31, he says, Our fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses, give you that bread from heaven. But my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Were you condemning Moses, Jesus? Come, you, The moment you start a deal with ancestral leaders and leaders of the past, people get touchy and sensitive. Well, you don't, don't speak like that against our leaders of the past. Listen, I respect leaders of the past. I respect doctors of the past. I remember there was a doctor in my little village called Rose Hall. When you go there, uh, he's not a real doctor. He was just a dispenser that plays he was a doctor. When you go there, anything is wrong with, with you, you're bilious. Everybody is bilious. So his little drugstore had bilious wash. You're pregnant, you're bilious. I'm so glad when I took Chandri there and she was pregnant. He says she's bilious. And somebody says, that man don't listen to him. And I walked out, didn't listen to him. Otherwise, Nadine would be a part of the bilious wash. We don't believe everyone that says everything. And so here Jesus said, he says, your fathers did it, man. He says, the bread of heaven. He says, Jesus said in verse 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. He says, verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He says, I came down from heaven, verse 38, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And as he went on here, and he's speaking over in verse, um, in verse 46, he says, not that any man had seen the Father. Uh, he says, but he, uh, he which is of God, he had seen the Father, that's himself. Verily, verily, I say unto he that believeth in me had everlasting life. We know you, man. You're Joseph's son. You're a carpenter boy. I don't know if I wanted security guard or carpenter, which one I would prefer. Maybe tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. I was a security guard. I think I like the security guard better because you're, you know, you're a little bit more calm and positive. You got a good pension plan. And they go on here. It says, Jesus is on the bread. And then he pointed to them and he says, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. and They're not here no more. They're dead. Don't follow your fathers. They're dead. And when he said that, he triggered an animosity and hatred in the hearts of the people that listened to him. If they had their hearts open up, they would follow him. And you know, by the time he went on, he says, uh, I'm, I'm the living bread, verse 51, he which cometh down from heaven. He says, um, uh, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And the Jews started to argue among themselves. You know, bottom line, when it was all over, before it was all over, they got offended at Jesus. Why is he lifting himself up? Who he thinks he is? Listen, the greatest enemies to missions are prejudice and indifference. 
And like someone wrote many years ago, ignorance is the mother of both. I changed that a little, and I said spiritual blindness is the mother of both. And a prophet is never accepted in his own community and among his own people. I preach what I feel God has placed in my mind, whether you like it or you don't like it. I believe it's the word of God. And that is why we love the, the, the way we are coming from. We love our leaders of the past. We love them. I don't pick on the leaders of the past. I really appreciate what they have done. But have they taught, taught us things that we need to change on? I don't believe the doctrine has flaws. But I believe the doctrine of lifestyle has some flaws. That mechanics need to be re removed. And little flaws and, and things that we have established we need to change on. If I'm to serve God right, I must please God, not man. And Jesus, when he made all of this statement, it says um, they got offended with him. And coming down to the end of that chapter, he says, therefore, um, it says here, verse 65, he says, therefore, said I unto you, no man can come to me, except it was given to him of my father. In other words, I'm preaching today and you would not believe a single thing I say unless the father touches your mind. And you can put the message on and listen to it all the time and don't grow an inch. Because the way you need to listen to my message is get your Bible and sit down and play the tape and follow the scriptures and listen to it and then see how it applies to your life. Then you will get the benefit of it. You know, I come in ever so often and I see the saints champ uh, car vacuuming the carpet in church. And if a carpet is there in the church and you got a vacuum, but you're Speedy Gonzales or something, and you want to do all this zip, 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 you're not vacuuming the carpet. You're just taking the top, the top, uh, the top little uh, flurs off. To vacuum a carpet, first of all, you need a good vacuum. We got a little battery-operated vacuum in there. It's the easiest thing to push around and con yourself and fool the carpet. They got a real good vacuum. I've got one sitting at the back of the church. It's a Hoover. The old kind, not the bagless, the bag ones. I love bags. And, um, and that one, I've got it maybe 15 years. And it's sitting there, and it can outlive any one of these other vacuums. We bought new vacuums. They die. We put them away, got new vacuums again. They're ready to die. My Hoover is sitting at the back. It's a good vacuum. But to vacuum the real vacuum in the carpet, you've got to go slow forward. Or you can go fast forward, but pull back slowly because that's the suction power. You need to get not what's on the surface, what's below the surface. And that is how God saves individuals' lives. You don't need a facade, a veneer. You need a deep inward working of God in your life. And so how, you, how do you listen to my message? Sit down, put your Bible down, follow the scriptures and soak it in. We know we live in a very fast day society. Microwave, all of these things. When you hit the church door and you come back, settle down yourself. Don't rush the service. Let God sink into your life. And so Jesus went on here, and when he said that, he says, except the Father help, you can't see me. And then it says in verse 6 to 6, from that time, many of his disciples, many, see the word many? All the many that came in for some reason, some ulterior motive left. Many is oftentimes a fickle crowd. And many left. And then Jesus went into a corner and cried. No. He turned to the twelve and he says, will you also go away? See, he was not Dale Carnegie. He was not depending on the church to give him an income. He was trusting God. He was not a rich person. And he looked at the rest. He said, would you also go? And Peter said, he says, whom shall we go? Thou hast the word of eternal life. And you know, that went on, and before the time runs out on me, uh, there is a scripture here in chapter 8. And so, if you're a part of Jesus' church, you'll be discouraged when you see all the people gone. 
There's Jesus preached out the people, man. Can you imagine Peter telling Andrew, I don't know what's wrong with him today. He really preached a hard message and drive the people out. That's why I like Jesus. I took some of my habits from him and some from Jeremiah and some from Isaiah. Can you imagine the disciples complaining? Well, not long after in chapter 8, things were happening, verse 30. And as he spake these words, ah, there is the word again, many coming back. Many are coming back. Hey, praise the Lord. We got a crowd coming in. You know, like you got some more coming in. And the man, he came back in. But this time, Jesus did not want to feed him with fish and bread. He did not want to spend another six months nurturing them. He says, I'm going to try them early. Man, he came in. And then said Jesus unto the Jews that believed. They came in believing. He says, okay, if you continue. You're not coming in today and gone tomorrow. If you continue in my words. Then are you my disciples indeed. The same I say to everyone listening to me. Don't just listen to it. Sit down. Soak it into your spirit and change man and woman. And then he goes on. He says, and you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. As you incorporate, have an experience with the truth, living and walking in the truth, it will set you free from past concepts, from pagan ideas, from inaccurate doctrines, from traditions of the fathers that are not good, from make-believe Christianity. And the same people that believed in him, in verse 30, were ready to kill him. In, in, by the time he got into into the end of that chapter, they tell him here in verse 41, he says, um, uh, what he says in verse 39, then they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me. The same many that believed in him, not even five minutes after, they wanted him dead. If, Killing heretics was legal today. I'll be dead a long time. I'm so glad that the beast did not make it legal. Yet. Same people that loved him one moment want to kill him the next moment. And he said, he said, um, and they said, you do the, he says, um, uh, verse, uh, you seek to kill me, a man that just told you the truth, which I heard of God you, this did not Abraham. This, he said, you do the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, we, we be not born of fornication. Our mama did not get us when she was, before she got married. What an insult. What a perverted mindset people had. These were the Jews that believed in him five minutes ago. They were calling him the seed of fornication. He said they believed in him. Outwardly, but in their hearts, they already had that problem with Mary getting pregnant. And Jesus got upset with them, and he told them off. He says, you call my father, my God, you call my mother a prostitute, a fornicator? He says, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your fathers. Uh, you see, when you can pull Jesus little string there and get him to religiously stand for truth, he will fight you. He will stand and challenge you. And this is the attitude of individuals. And so when we see a crowd coming in, we should never get excited. And Jesus went on here, and this was such a beautiful chapter. We can't, we can't continue in all these areas, but today we're glad that we can trust the Lord. We are glad that we are given the privilege to hear the word of God. And so today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. But you can't hear his voice if you're vacuuming the carpet at 100 miles an hour. Vacuum your spiritual carpet slowly. Put the tape on, open your Bible, and set some time aside for God. And you'll be able to grow spiritually. Nice talking to you today. Let us pray. 
Lord, we thank you for another day in your house, and we pray, Father, that you would let these words sink down in our hearts, touch our minds and our understanding, and today, Father, help us that if we can hear your words, to respond positively and not harden our hearts. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.